0: So today our guest is Michael Solomon. He's one of the top 10 most productive scholars with published research on consumer behavior, fashion psychology, branding, retailing, and marketing research in numerous academic journals. He has written over 30 books on those topics, as well as many featured articles in national and international magazines. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for making the time and welcome, Michael.
1: Uh, My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your program.
0: So as always, let's start with a little bit of a background before we dive into Aminatma. We have so much so many things to talk about with you. I have, I mentioned just before the call that, like, even on our team, we have people who have studied your work at university, and they're like super excited to hear from you. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to struggle to like not bombard you with questions, but give us a bit of a background. Who's Michael, and how did you get to do what you do?
1: Okay, well, uh, they're probably happier about me than my own students are, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, anyway, that's always nice to hear. Um, So very, very briefly, well, I'm currently a a marketing professor um, in the Haub School of Business at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia in the States. Uh, I've been a marketing professor uh, both here and in in Europe for for many, many years. And during that time, I've done a lot of research, as you mentioned, on different aspects of consumer behavior and brand meaning. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into some of that. Uh, I've had the privilege of working with a lot of major marketers to, uh, to help them become more customer centric, to help them to understand what their brands actually mean to their, to their customers. Um, and that's, that's been, uh, some great experiences and, you know, has led me to, to understand that. It, it almost doesn't matter what industry you're working in. Many of the things that we're going to talk about, I think, are relevant. I know a lot of your listeners are entrepreneurs. And no matter what business you're starting up in, you know, there's, there's one there's one ingredient that's the most essential in your new startup, and that is customers. Mm. Uh, if you don't have them, you probably don't have much of a, of a business. So, uh, so that's been my my focus during my career. Uh, uh, I've written textbooks, as as you mentioned, and and also. Uh, Trade books, and we, we might talk about that a bit. Uh, and uh, my 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 latest activity is that we recently launched uh, an online course on on customer engagement um, uh, for people who really want to get into it. But. Uh, yeah, that's, that's my story and I'm going to stick to it.
0: (laughs) That's great. And you've been doing that for quite some time. And I'm sure like, even in the past few years, the the things are changing so much consumers, customers are are changing so much. What, what is kind of, do you find most like the the biggest changes and how, how do they affect business?
1: Hmm. Well, if you have two or three hours, we can get into this, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> um,
1: you know, it, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. A lot of, you know, a lot of people assume that, that COVID really changed our lives and it did. And it certainly mm. did. Um, but what I, what I like to emphasize is that for the most part, uh, COVID did not cause any of these big changes that we're seeing now. It, it merely accelerated them because mm. they were already happening. And, and that's certainly true for consumer behavior. You know, for, for example, uh, Some people say, well, COVID was the reason that many people turned to online delivery, especially for food. That's not quite true. Uh, That was already happening beforehand. Uh, people were starting mm-hmm. to work from home before covid covid just kind of threw some fuel on the fire so mm-hmm. uh you know I, I think we have to actually go go back further in time to to understand some of the really big disruptions that are going on now and 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 we can get we can get into those but to to answer your question you know i think the the single biggest uh and most important development in marketing and I, uh, in the last 20 30 years probably is the ability of consumers to interact with the brands, uh, mm. what we call internet 2.0, you know, we're, uh, we're no longer just the passive recipient of whatever the brands want to tell us, but rather we're very much a part of the conversation. And often, mm. and often leading the conversation, uh, and that kind of empowerment, you know, that that translates into some of the things that we saw, uh, you know, during COVID that that we're talking about, uh, where people are, I guess, you might say, taking more control over what they buy, uh, where it comes from, how they get it, etc. Mm. So. You know, we're definitely seeing a much bigger awareness among people, uh, certainly more pronounced uh, among young people, but e- even mm. old guys like me, you know, where people are kind of waking up. Obviously, we have these huge conversations about equality, uh, both in Europe, where you are and here in the States and, uh, you know, lot, lots of, of social disruption, etc. cetera. Um, and that definitely relates to to brands, and you know, uh, mm. one of the big one. So perhaps again, aggravated by COVID, you know, people's uh, confidence in the ability of institutions to to keep them safe, like, and I'm referring to governments, maybe churches, and so on. Uh, that's that has really eroded, and mm. so what we, what we see in some surveys is that um, that many consumers think that companies actually can do more. To make the world a better place than governments or other or other kinds of mm. institutions, so increasingly people are looking to brands to kind of create not only, uh, you know, clue them in that there's things that they don't own that perhaps they should, but rather to take the lead in in mm. making social changes. You know, companies like Nike, et, et cetera, that are doing this, and and it's it's interesting. I was just telling my my undergraduate students um, yesterday. You know, back in the old days. It was kind of an unwritten rule that, just like when you're uh, at a cocktail party or something, there are certain topics that are taboo, like mm-hmm. politics and religion. We never mm-hmm. discuss those. Um, yes. And now, and now today, all, you know, almost every brand has to has to have some statement about what mm-hmm. it stands for, what it opposes, etc. So brands have become very politicized. Uh, I think that there are. are a lot of uh, opportunities for brands to to uh, to make the world a better place. But it's also a real challenge because uh, people are no longer focusing on the same kinds of brand attributes that they used to. The first question they're going to ask is, what do I know about this brand and what has it done that's good for people? Then they're mm. going to ask, well, does it actually work? So mm-hmm. marketers really need to kind of reorder or realign their their priorities and the way they introduce brands to people. And that certainly goes for new brands, for startups, et cetera.
0: Mm, Absolutely. I can totally agree with that. And um, um, one of my sons is turning 18 this week, and I, I love looking at kids actually to kind of a I know it's not representative because you know I only have four. Like it's not a huge statistical example, but it, it's still very interesting as an indication as to you know how they buy, what they think, and and he is absolutely he can spend hours looking at, uh, at a brand and like what they do, who's the CEO, what do they do, what do they think about like all issues that matter to him, and that's something that like, I didn't you know. I, I thought of myself as a very conscious kind of citizen of earth when I was in his age, but I didn't do any of that. And it's really, yeah, for, for, for any, anyone who's going into business, it, it puts a lot of weight on their shoulders to, to craft that and to actually have it. Like, it's not just about let's write it and show it to the world. That's what we think. People are actually able to see through it. So it does actually have to be authentic. Yeah,
1: exactly. And, you know, I, I always tell people, um, if you have a story about your brand, you know, the way it was founded, like like many big, you know, Apple, Hewlett Packard, mm-hmm. they all have what we call founder stories. Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs ha- have stories as well. And what I, what I say is, if you have a story, tell it, because that's mm-hmm. what want to hear. you know uh, you know, you're right that some brands have to think about what is my story and what have I been doing for the last 50 years to uh, <laughs> to be consistent with that story but but the reality is that there's also a lot of brands that that have great stories but don't tell them, because they think people don't want to know that. They think people just mm. want to know, you know, what are the chemicals in in my shampoo? Mm. Uh, that is definitely not the case today. So, you know, that's mm. one of the advantages that a lot of entrepreneurs have over big companies is is that they do have that story and they're part, probably part of that founder story. Mm. And that is the kind of thing people just love to just, as we say in the States, they eat it with a spoon because they just <laughs> love, uh, you know they they love this idea. Oh, these two sisters, you know, couldn't find a, a gentle enough soap for their babies, so they invented <laughs> one in their garage. You know, that's the kind of thing that really really resonates with people today. Assuming it's true. Now, don't go making it up, but assuming yeah, it's that's true.
0: Because <laughs> as think you said, will if you, stay. I'm sorry,
1: say again. No, So, do you
0: think that will stay as a, as a, I wouldn't call it a trend because it has been now there for quite some time and it doesn't seem to be going away, but do you feel that that's how it will continue to be?
1: Well, I tend to be a little more skeptical. I've been, I've been studying consumers for about 40 years and I, (laughs) I tend to be kind of skeptical about these things. And, um, and especially uh, doing a lot of work in fashion psychology, I I know that there's there's almost no such thing as something that's going to be here forever. Um, I think the biggest challenge is going to be the the value argument. In other words, a lot of people will tell you, you know, I will always choose the product that's better for the world. Mm-hmm. But what they won't tell you is um, I will pay a premium of ten percent more or 20% more to get the product that's better for the world. That's where they draw the line.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And so the argument has to be, in fact, uh, very often these... You know, better quality, sustainable products in the long run are actually less expensive, um, and and that's true. You know, and there's there's a lot of research to show that companies that operate sustainably actually are more profitable. But that's not the story mm-hmm. that most of us have. We think, well, I'm going to have to pay extra because that's another benefit that that this other competitor doesn't have. And uh, you know, I, I think I think a great place to see this kind of contradiction. You know, you're talking about young people looking at this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, on the other hand, you have a lot of young people who are into, for example, fast fashion, mm-hmm. uh, you know, H&M, Zara and all that, that have really mm-hmm. uh, changed the entire fashion industry in a lot of ways. But um, what they've done is to pump a lot more variety into the into the marketplace, but also to create a huge amount of waste. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, it's ironic that a lot of these young people who are jumping up and down about you know, chemicals or something um, have no problem going to to Zara once a week and buying buying a ten dollar blouse mm. and throwing it away the following week. So, uh, you know, there's always yeah. there's a disconnect between what we what we believe to be true and how we gauge our own behavior, and that that's the challenge.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I've been, I know that feeling. That that story. I've seen that. Um, back to my son, I'm a poor thing. I hope he doesn't listen to that podcast because then I'm talking about him a bit, but he became a year or so ago, he, he became uh, vegan. So uh, that's great. I, I don't eat meat myself. but like, I'm not completely vegan, but, uh, but he started like buying things. He, he had uh, ethical and environmental reasons as well, but he started buying things that supposedly are good for the planet. Like, Logically, but then when you start looking into the image, that came from, you know, the other part of the world, you know, it, it didn't just appear here. So even though, yeah, okay, it's not meat, it doesn't just by default make it, you know, eco-friendly. And like you say, there's a lot of that going on and it's interesting actually yeah. to see how will that develop. But also that is partly um, responsibility, I guess, of the brands themselves to communicate that and use it to their advantage even.
1: Yes, it, it is, and you know, unfortunately, the brand many brands are poisoning the well for the for the good for the good brands because uh, you know if you I don't know if you know the term greenwashing, uh, mm-hmm. people are you know I I mean by some estimates up to maybe ninety percent of environmental claims that companies make are not true or greatly mm-hmm. exaggerated. Uh you know, when, when we look at, at the extent to which people trust various institutions, advertising is down there with politicians and you can't get much lower than that. Uh, and, and to a large extent, you know, they brought it on themselves because uh, because they do, you know, they they exaggerate or they, they say things that people want to hear. Um, and people, you know, people are not stupid. Uh, you know, one, once they realize that, then they assume everybody is exaggerating. Mm. And so that's. The good actors out there have it have an extra difficult problem because some of their competitors are not playing very nicely. Uh, mm. That may benefit them in the short term, but in, if they're in business and for the long term, people are going to see through that, and they're going to still gravitate to the brands that you know. As we say, they they walk the walk, not just mm-hmm. talk talk. Yeah. Mm, definitely,
0: yeah, and that's different between somebody you know being in it just for for the quick gains and somebody planning on building a brand that's going to be there and you know you're not going to be ashamed to put your name to it in, in 10 years time exactly. uh, you talk about brand personality. Tell me a little bit more about about that
1: uh, sure that's a term that w- that we used to to describe the uh, the attributes that people attribute uh, or, or assign to to brands and you know it sounds like it sounds crazy. Uh, you know when I, when I say to to an audience or to, to students, you know if you if your favorite brand came to life suddenly as a person, who would that person be? Would they be young, old, male, female, et cetera? Uh, and people look at me quizzically, you know, that's a product, that's not a person. Uh, but then they immediately start to reel off all the all the things that make that that brand would be if it were a person. And mm-hmm. and so there's uh, you know, it's uh, it's quite common to use that sort of technique, actually, in, in focus groups and, and so on. Uh, but it goes a lot deeper than that, because it reminds us that we do relate to brands in some ways as if they were people. And just like we mm. choose our friends very selectively. Uh maybe we have people that we love to to hate, <laughs> you know? Uh it's the same thing about, about brands and uh you know, a lot of research over many years supporting the idea that in in many circumstances people choose brands that are either similar to their the way they feel about themselves or they reflect uh, more importantly something about who they want to be down mm. the road and that's of course a huge role that advertising plays because it presents us with pictures of the possible down the road. Mm. Now it gets dangerous when those when those promises can never be attained. But for the most part, everybody need you know everybody's life is a work in progress and we're always we we're always reaching toward becoming a better podcaster or a better professor, or a better tennis player, a better partner, whatever it is. And so we look to brands to help us to to make those connections. And so the most successful brand stories or brands are the ones who have created a a strong personality around their brand and and who are able to connect that with what people are looking for. How do they do that? Well, sometimes they just write a big check and hire a celebrity to be the voice, to be the face of their brand. Uh, but not all brands have the luxury of, of doing that, of course, especially smaller ones. Uh, but you can still create a personality. at uh, Basically, everything you do around your brand, if you're in a bricks and mortar situation certainly the way your you know your environment is designed but even on a website and and so on uh, people are always looking for clues about who is this quote person that i'm interacting with um and and so uh, again you know the brand personality what what i say to people is you know take that exercise i asked you about you know if your brand came to life now now do it to hmm. your brand the brand that you're selling what if, you're, if your brand came to life, who would it be? And if someone is not able to give me a a, a fairly detailed answer, then I tell them, you have a very big problem, my friend, that we've mm. just discovered. Because if you can't articulate what your brand is and who it is, certainly no one else will be able to. Mm.
0: Absolutely. And I think even as you were talking, I'm sure anybody listening, as you were talking about successful brands that have been very, that part of their success is that, that they have a really clear brand personality. I had a few just appear in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like Nike is, and I'm, I'm a bit biased because I'm a Nike fan, but that's, you know, that's part of it. it it's really like they've really nailed that idea of uh, you feel like that brand represents you in a, in a very personal way, even though, you know, there's, there's so many people wearing those products. You still feel that I feel like sometimes because uh, I, I do mountain running, and sometimes there are products of other brands that are better suited for whatever need I have. I feel bad buying them. I feel like I'm cheating on somebody. It's crazy, and that's and that's good marketing. That's good brand building. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, and and if the brand doesn't, it, it you know what what I like to say is that if people don't buy things because of what they do. They buy them because of what they mean. Mm. And, and, you know, the reality is that today, you know, there are exceptions, but for the most part, the stuff that we make works, you know, it's not going to, you're not going to get it home and it's not going to, you know, it's going to explode or something. Yes, Mm. there are cases where that happens, but for the most part, you know, and this drives a lot of marketers crazy. Maybe you've probably encountered this, you know, you're, you're, you're working for a brand. You think they're great. You wouldn't be working for them if you didn't. Um, But when you say to consumers, you know, here's five brands in this category, including the one you're working on, what's the difference among them? And a a lot of people will just say they're all pretty much the same. (laughs) And and that, you know, that assumption, you know, it drives it drives you crazy because, you know, your brand is not the same, but it also (laughs) means that people are not really focusing on whether the brand will work you know they're focusing on what kind of person is it going to make me and mm. you know and 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 whether it's identifying with you know a famous athlete like michael jordan or something for nike or whether it's some other uh you know dimension that that you're using uh expertise or philanthropy or what you know a company like patagonia that's so far out in front in terms of environmental issues and so on Um, If those issues don't matter to you, then that brand is not a good story for you. But if Mm. they do matter to you and one brand has successfully told the story of how they've been fighting to, you know, reduce waste in textiles or something, uh, that is what, you know, that that what we call a brand resonance, resonance. So something resonates Mm. with you. It it kind of strikes you to your core. You know, it's not just your, your, oh, that's interesting. It's more like, yes, that's that's who I am, you know, and there's different ways to create that kind of resonance. Sometimes it's it's aligning with other people who share your passions. So, you know, people are into CrossFit or something like that, mm. you know, where where it takes a village, it takes a, you know, group of people to watch each other suffer and, and wince <laughs> in pain as they lift barbells and so on. Um, you know, there's, there's different ways that you can do it. You know, sometimes it's just being current or, you know, embodying what's going on at the moment, like say ride sharing. And so Uber becomes a brand that has a lot of meanings attached to it. And we could go down the line and, you know, talk about other ways to do that. The important thing is do you do it at all? Mm-hmm. So there's many ways to do it. Unfortunately, most companies don't try it at all. They're focused more on mm-hmm. what they do. Yeah, we mm-hmm. have this great widget. It's going to be great. It's going to work for you. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, they all gonna work for me. But you know, what do I know about you and how does that connect with my life?
0: Mm-hmm. And that brings us to Uh, what I mentioned in your introduction, you you focus on helping brands uh, become more customer-centric. And I'm I'm oftentimes drawing that parallel with uh, an issue that I have in in my field of work where uh, I help entrepreneurs secure basically the best name and matching domain name for their business. And from the moment people reach out to me or I reach out to people, the big sort of a battle is to get them to realize they have a problem. Like once that's there, it's it's much easier. Mm-hmm. So in in your case, where we're talking about brands that are uh, potentially not customer-centric, you just mentioned a lot of brands, unfortunately, are focusing on like how great their product is and what they're producing and, and throwing cash at, at uh, you know, Advertising, which I think sometimes can be actually a downside, because you you get the feeling that it's working, but it's just like because you're throwing cash at it, and it actually would stop as soon as you stop throwing cash at it. But that's another story. So, how would somebody or how would an entrepreneur realize that they have a problem and they're not customer-centric?
1: Uh, you know, one one of the biggest assets that that any organization has is one that they tend to overlook, and that is their customer or their users. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and 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 of course, the user is someone who's totally on top of of what's going on, especially if you're, you're fairly new, um, maybe the, you, the only users are your relatives or something, but, mm-hmm. but they have some reason for, for, you know, for, for patronizing you. And they are a, an unbelievable source to tell you what your brand means. In other words, you may mm-hmm. think, you know, what your brand means. And, and a lot of times, you know, there are a lot of companies that you know, they don't even do any marketing research because they say, "Well, mm. we've been in business for forty years; we know what our brand is." Mm-hmm. Um, but they they may not know what it means to to customers, and especially to different customers. So, what we you know what we often see is in different different types of people will adopt a brand and modify it for their own purposes. Uh, you know, so mm-hmm. for example, there are some uh, traditional, let's say, luxury brands that have been. Kind of co opted by, uh, by rap and hip hop stars mm. uh, like Timberland, or, for example, uh, or Lacoste. Uh, and so the, the, the ways that, that people in those mar- markets use the same product. Maybe quite mm-hmm. different. Sometimes it's an mm-hmm. ironic statement, like "Yeah, I you know I come from the I come from a bad part of town. I could never afford Timberland, so I'm going to wear them now." Mm-hmm. You know? uh, so it could be kind of a statement like that. But the point is that that uh, what what companies have to recognize today is that you don't own your brand anymore. And I mm-hmm. tell audiences this all the time: get over it. You don't own your brand; mm-hmm. you co-own your brand. But your customers play a very important role in creating and perpetuating your brand. And often they are the best source of intelligence about what's going right with your brand and what's going wrong. And, and mm. especially ideas for, for new offerings, you know, and, and ironically, this this kind of customer closer relationship is much more prevalent in the B2B space, you know, industrial products mm. and so on than it is for for consumer products, which is which it sh- that shouldn't be the case. But mm. but for example, if you look in certain industries like the chemicals industry, right, right. Uh, Uh, 70% of the ideas for new chemical products originated with customers, the customers who are buying these chemicals to use in their, you know, manufacturing, Mm. Uh, which makes a lot of sense, right? Because if you're using, you're actually using the product, you're the one who's going to be first to see where there's a, you know, oh, it would be much better if you maybe did it a little bit this way. Mm. So, you know, to, to answer your question, I think, the, the first thing you do is is know your customer, even if you literally only have one customer. Uh, maybe it's your maybe it's your spouse, you know, but but still uh, talk to those people, you know, get them to do, you know, like we talked about before. If you you know, if this came to life in the morning and was sitting on your bed when you woke up, who would it be? You know, mm-hmm. you start to get now that's you know nothing scientific about that. It's not very rigorous, but it it gives you a sense of what people are taking from your brand. Mm. and and the failure to consult you know what the the problem is, is and this is really true if you're a startup uh the 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 need that you feel to keep adding more customers mm. Uh and, and of course you you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is that what we tend to do is we acquire a customer, whatever it took to do that. Now he or she is in, is on our on our team. So we check the box and now we go on to the next new person without understanding that the person we've worked so hard to acquire. Is now an asset that we are ignoring, mm. and so you know, by by some estimates, it can be as much as seven times more expensive to get a new customer than to keep an old one. Mm,
0: absolutely.
1: So I so nice. I think you know a lot of the the problems that companies run into is uh, you know and and understandably you're on a very limited budget. You're you know you have a, a runway to launch your 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 brand, uh, you want to mm. get as many people to use it as possible. But, you know, if you if you remember, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the 80-20 rule in marketing. Uh, it's often used uh, mm. basically a rule of thumb that says 20 uh, percent of your customers account for 80 percent of your profits. Uh, mm. That's well, sometimes, you know, that's uh, it's not always set in stone, 80-20, but it's that kind of proportion you, you often find. And so it's not, you know, you and I can both be, quote, customers of brand X. Um, but I I spend fifty bucks uh, fifty euro a week on it, and you spend ten euro a week on it. Who's the mm. more valuable customer? Mm. You know? uh, mm-hmm. And so I could go out and try to attract a few more of you that you're each going to pay ten euro, <laughs> or I could go back to that fifty euro a week customer and say, how can I get that up to seventy? <laughs> <laughs> and also turn them into someone who's going to be my ambassador. You know, who's going to proselytize mm-hmm. for me because. If, if I found a brand that really resonates with me, I wanna I wanna share that. You know, I wanna share mm. my good fortune, and that's what we have this thing called social media. You know, and virality and so on. That's where that comes into play.
0: Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm writing I'm questions as we speak speaking. I'm I'm not gonna be able to ask them all, but I really love what you said about you don't own your brand, which is um, definitely as you said, something that really, really applies nowadays and, and it's kind of like whether entrepreneurs realize it or not, it's there and it's happening. And um and in a way it's it can be something that they can absolutely use to their advantage. That conversation and that in a way building that brand with with your audience and having that communication open at all times. It's something that's really invaluable. But if ignored, it, it effectively turns into a problem. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, what you know, one of the advantages that aren't, that small businesses have, you know, they everybody likes to say, oh, how can I compete against the big guys and all that? Mm. But one huge advantage is, is the ability to pivot very quickly mm. and to come up, you know, to if if you have reason to believe that, you know, a modification of your current brand would really be worthwhile, you could probably make that happen in a few weeks or something. Whereas Coca Cola is not, you know, if they say we need a new flavor, it's not going to come out in two weeks.
0: Mm, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned social media just now, so how do you see? Um, obviously, I mean, it's been there for some time. There's new platforms coming and going, and uh, I find that a lot of uh, a lot of businesses kind of forget forget the fact that it's a tool it's not it's not your business and it's not your customer and I see so many people running around you know trying to please algorithms or making sure they whatever whatever and, and like literally writing content for the algorithms, and it's like yeah, but what we're we supposed to be talking to people like what's your experience with that, and how do you feel? It should be done right.
1: Yeah, well, I, uh, you know, obviously social media totally changed the the landscape in terms of how we connect with with customers um, and it mm-hmm. does empower them in the ways we've been talking about because they can, you know, they're, they're they're very often a customer's opinion about a product carries a lot more weight than what the company says. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you say, I mean, you know, part of it is just fashion or fads. You know, let's what's what's the latest platform? TikTok. OK, we need to be on there. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. we're on there. Check the box. Um that, you know, that's probably, I won't say it's a total waste of time, but probably a bit, a bit misguided. Uh you know, mm-hmm. there are ways to use social media again to in- involve your customers more more uh in the process by a- asking them n- n- not so much for their, you know, to share their opinions with influencers, but sharing their opinions with you, you know, enlisting them to be part of your community uh, in addition to other communities that might talk about the brand like influencers and so on. Mm. of course, you know, the, the first answer, you know, how do I get involved in, in social media these days? Influencer marketing is what everybody says, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh and 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 with good reason because it's it's been very impactful. But I, I personally don't think that that it's gonna last because I, I think that it, just like with greenwashing, there are too many people out there who see an opportunity to make to make a quick profit. Um mm-hmm. and they're just they're just putting themselves out there. They don't really have the the bona fides to do it or anything like that. Uh, plus, they're you know they're they're often getting being biased by the companies that they review. Even though that mm. may, depending on the country, that may be illegal, but mm. the, you know, the, what, what these influencers originally brought to the table was objectivity, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, 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 and an alternative to the company itself to tell me whether this brand really does what they say. Now, when that objectivity is compromised, because we now, we often assume, or at least I do, that when someone's reviewing a brand, that they probably got a sample of it to review at least, if not, That's if nice not man. other kind of compensation and so mm-hmm. they don't in my mind they don't become any more uh objective than the company itself they be, they're working for the company mm-hmm. and that's why you know we we've seen i think we're starting to see the beginning of the end because now uh a lot of a lot of marketers are moving away from the so-called macro influencers, the you know the Kylie mm. Jenners of the world, and trying to locate people who have micro followings of, let's say, ten thousand people or less, mm. um, and that that's become the the new target. So you're deliberately looking for people who aren't as popular as the people you found mm. before. Um, when they become more popular then you have to start over again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they've because they've lost their authenticity and 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 that mm. is you know that's a central paradox in marketing. And take a a company like Levi Strauss for example. I I used to do a lot of work with with Levi Strauss. Uh you know, their biggest their biggest story, their brand story is about authenticity and the, the miners using it uh mm. uh you know, all, all of these different things, James Dean in, in the movies in the 50s, mm. uh, you know, uh uh, motorcycle gangs. Um, but when people start the paradox of fashion of what I call it, when people, when other people start to, to want to buy into the, that story. So when, when somebody like me goes out and buys a Harley Davidson motorcycle, then the authenticity of the brand is, is tarnished. Mm -hmm. So again, in, in the quest to add new customers, what they're doing is alienating the base. Mm -hmm. So by definition, if you're a niche brand, You know, you want to become more mainstream, but if you become more mainstream, you no longer are niche. And so you have to do something Mm. else. And it's that continual process of reinventing yourself uh, that Mm. companies like Levi Strauss struggle with. Sometimes they, the way they get around it is they might uh, come up with a sub brand like, uh, uh, you know, for them, they have a couple of of those that they charge more money for, but they're still Levi Strauss and and everybody knows that. So Mm. the, the irony is that your success becomes your, your challenge. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's nice to say which is not a bad you know
1: it's not the worst problem that you can have but but what again you know especially if you're in a fashion oriented business if you're you know if you're if your brand personality is edgy and now you know uh, house housewives in in the middle mm. of somewhere are now buying it you know or you, <laughs> see, you know you see you see 12 year old white kids wearing wearing wrapper, clothing Mm. or something, you can imagine (laughs) the look, you know, the, the original person who created that style is (laughs) definitely onto something else.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's an interesting, interesting dynamic. What would you say, um, About because I I can't avoid asking the question of naming and the role of naming and Mm -hmm. subsequently domains nowadays as part of that since you obviously have to have your name on the internet. For example, you yourself have your name as your domain, and we spoke about briefly about social media and how uh, brands are trying to jump onto the next thing, the next thing. And in my opinion, in my experience, um, a strong brand has to has have its own. Um, domain and so its own place on the internet, and then everything else is a tool to drive that audience towards it. What What are your thoughts on that? Um, and I'm, I'm kind of going to expand on that a bit for personal branding, like in your case, because you know you you do all of those different things, but you 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 have your personal brand, uh, and also for for companies.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the name uh, the name is is so much a part of the personality isn't it just like Mm -hmm. just like with people and and you know Look, the reality is we we often make assumptions about a person just based on on their name before we've even met them. So before mm-hmm. I met you, I said, "Oh, Tatiana, well, she must be Russian." Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but but you're not, or maybe you, maybe you you were. At some I have point. I have roots, yeah. Okay, uh, but but so obviously a, a name is hugely important because it it basically cues our brain to light up and say, "Oh." I'm going to be seeing something that has these characteristics, and so, as you know very well, being in this in this, you know better than I. Uh, you know the 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 art of naming it, it, it is much more complicated than it seems because that name. Well, first of all, you have to live with that name for a really long time unless you're forced to mm-hmm. change it for some reason. Um, but that but that name itself often is going to convey. The desired personality of the product. And that's why many companies are going to use metaphors um, mm-hmm. uh, so heavily. You know, if you think about automobiles, you know, you have the Jaguar and the Mustang at, you know, at the mm-hmm. Barracuda, you know, you have names like, like that. Uh, you know, there are, of course, you know, rules or guidelines for naming, and you you know that better than I do about how the name has to be memorable and et cetera. Uh, And so, yeah, I I would say it's not a trivial thing. And even more importantly, don't have the illusion that you can change it later to a better one, because Mm -hmm. that is really a problem, right? When when a company has to change its name, unless they're doing it deliberately because they were sent, you know, some of the officers went to jail, and they're starting a new (laughs) brand or something. Uh, You don't want to be doing that, and you know, and even you know, we, we can see what happens even with the most established brands when they start, when they make changes that people aren't ready for, you know, the, mm. the, the famous Coca-Cola fiasco back in the 1980s, you're too young to even uh, remember that probably, but uh, uh, you know, they, Coca-Cola violated people's expectations about what the brand should be, what it should taste like. And mm. a, a big problem for them, you know? Um, and so any, any brand that does that, you know, I, I think sometimes your your brand, sometimes you can modify it uh, later um, if you're lucky. So for example, Kentucky Fried Chicken is now only known as KFC mm-hmm. uh, because the word fried is no longer a positive for, for many people. You know, it connotes mm-hmm. uh, dietary challenges, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So they they're able to shorten it to KFC. But but most brands don't have that kind of luxury. So mm. I would say think very carefully and don't just do it casually. Mm.
0: Definitely agree with that. And that's that's kind of the advice I try to give to to people when it comes to naming, like regardless of who they work with, it, it's just don't take it lightly. Or don't, and, and that idea of oh we can just change it later, it can't always, and it's always risky and expensive. So yeah, yeah. it's... Uh, but the first thing at like, least to do is take
1: it seriously and it's also risky i think to be very specific about the what you're making in your brand you know if you if you call mm. it uh Tatiana's screwdrivers and mm. you're you're confined to selling screwdrivers your entire life mm. uh, but you know home home tools that make your life easier you know some name that, that connotes that then you have the ability mm-hmm. to expand your branding umbrella and start to make other things as well without confusing people. Definitely.
0: That's that's funny. We're gonna publish it today. I think um, the girls on the team are working on that. But we did uh, and that's leading to my next question uh about artificial intelligence. So I'm sure you've had some play around with Chat GPT and all the rest of it. We asked it to write a poem about the main names and the example it's, uh, of the, the poem that you wrote was about a guy similar to your example about screwdrivers but it was about a guy who launched a business uh, that had chocolates in its name and then expanded later on, and it was limited by the chocolate in the name. Huh. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely something that I see oftentimes as well in my personal experience with entrepreneurs, where they you don't always know where that brand where that business will develop. So it's good to Mm-hmm. keep an open mind and, and not limit yourself to a category or to a service or market geographically speaking. Um, so that definitely something what are your thoughts on artificial intelligence how has it affected um, well marketing and branding I would say and, and where do you see it like everybody is you know panicking yeah. about it's going to replace us it's going to well how do you see it in the middle
1: yeah yeah well and again you know this is not new uh, you know this has been in the works for for a while um, but is getting a lot more publicity now mm. uh, and, and obviously, the, the, the capabilities are improving quite dramatically from, say, 10 years ago. Uh, mm. I had the occasion at one time on a project to work with IBM's uh, AI system, Watson, and it was very impressive, but it doesn't do what these people do today. Um, I, I think that, the again, the problem is one of credibility, where it gets to the point where uh, when I see some copy, I'm going to be wondering if a machine mm. wrote that. In the same way as, unfortunately, if a student hands in a paper now, I have to assume that They used AI to write it, Mm. uh, which is a big problem for us right now. But, Mm. uh, uh, you know, I I think what it's going to do, I I think the biggest one of the biggest issues in in our business is is automation and replacing jobs. And I think it will do that. It's already started to do that, Uh, Mm. you know, lower level jobs. Now you can what you you can put a good spin on that and say it frees people up to do the more creative work. Mm. Uh, But, you know, it's the same argument where, where you say, well, truck drivers, Are going to be out of a job because we're going to have self-driving trucks that frees them Mm -hmm. up to be something else. But what else are they going to be? I'm not sure. You know, I'm not Mm -hmm. sure I buy that argument. Um, But I, you know, I think we're just we're just scratching the surface of this. I I don't think it's going to replace us because remember garbage in garbage out you know it's only Mm -hmm. it's only working with what we as humans have given it to work with and we have to keep giving them that giving it i believe that raw material uh in order to to work with it so you know the 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 ai is able to do amazing things but it's it can't do it can't do what a 10 year old child can do which is imagine Mm
0: -hmm. that's a wonderful quote (laughs) i like that um yeah i don't want to keep you for much longer but I, i do have two more questions and and one is actually uh, it's been hanging here from the beginning when you said about like you our audience is probably going to be happier to hear from you than your students which i i I struggle to believe honestly they they must like what, (laughs) what they have to hear like uh so that's kind of a bit of a off top not off topic but not on the not addressing entrepreneurs but um a lot of young people that are, are at that stage of their life where they're wondering what path to go on are thinking about going into branding and marketing and consumer behavior. What would you say to those people? What what is your feeling on on that? How do you see um, that that develop in the coming years?
1: So you, like would I advise my kids to become marketing majors? Is that what you're you're pretty much? You're gonna say right?
0: no now. Don't say don't say no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, You know, I I think that, you know, uh, what what I like to say is, you know, there's a there is an old Chinese curse that says, may you live in interesting times. That's a curse. (laughs) Uh, And it's a curse that marketers are living with right now. We we live in the most interesting time to be a marketer. But that word interesting works both ways. It's also a challenge. It's all it creates a lot of obstacles. But I don't think there's ever been a, a more exciting time. You know, I, it, it's hard to name a discipline where, when you get up every morning, something has changed significantly. Mm. And I think, you know, at least three or four days of the week, we could probably make that claim. Mm, and so who, you know, who wouldn't want to be in a in a in a field that is so dynamic and and also touches on so many important issues? You know, the problem with marketing is that uh, is that uh, that some people unfortunately they either view it as evil or as trivial mm-hmm. and um you know both of those you could argue both of those but i i don't think both are correct but i think they have some elements of correctness in them <laughs> but um but the fact is that if you're you know if 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 you're in marketing today think about all the issues that you're touching upon you know we've discussed a few but mm-hmm. sustain sustainability gender fluidity social inequality uh, you know not to mention the joys of materialism, and you know a lot of there's you know a lot of people still in, enjoy luxury products, and you know that that whole industry is changing. but mm-hmm. with the technology that that's coming out, you know you know when you're able to create a stock exchange for for vintage sneakers, you know, if, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're aware of that, but you know that that tells you you're you're in a time where the brands that we use have never been more important because they mm-hmm. are part of the story that we're telling and importantly it's not the story that's coming to us top down from corporate from the corporate world it's it's much more of a bottom up story where people are more proactively picking and choosing the brands that they use to represent themselves so you you know you made a comment earlier which is totally correct and you know, how could how could a brand that many thousands of people own be something that's distinctive to me mm-hmm. um, one way one answer to that is what else are you buying with it so in the old days i think we were more likely just to just to passively almost buy if you will a suite of brands that that mm-hmm. uh, that were just kind of the mainstream brands that everybody used mm-hmm. but today you might find you know your son your son might pair, you know, a a pair of Levi's jeans, which everybody wears, but with, with a shirt that is only made by some guy in a, in an alleyway, you know, and Mm -hmm. then, and then this vegan brand over here, that's the start, you know, but whatever that constellation of brands is that that's his identity. That's a big part of his identity. And the big change is how much more proactive people are, are in terms of choosing the brands that they want to represent them rather than just passively accepting the market leader. So in that sense, being an entrepreneur is also, a ver- it's also the best time for that because, you know, when have we ever been in a position in our history where someone with only, you know, one person can have the same impact as a big company with a hundred thousand employees by mm-hmm. posting things on the net and on the web and so on. Absolutely. So, uh, you know uh and and by the way it's also for women uh an unbelievable opportunity i don't know how it is in europe but here here in the states i think something like 60% of marketing majors in universities are are female mm. uh so it's definitely a field that's that's very friendly i think to uh you know gender equality and
0: mm. I, actually yeah that's an interesting uh, question i don't know how it's uh, in 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 europe but i mean if you go back to not even that far back it was seen as a very yeah, male-dominated space, and I don't feel it's the case now. It is It is a, a, a very... And we touched on earlier that nowadays, it's literally, I feel, a lot uh, easier... Like, if you are dreaming of changing the world, corporations and brands have, like, a bigger and quicker way of doing that than, than many governments, even. And if you see marketing as that connection between a brand... Uh, crafting and telling their story but also we spoke about it's a two-way street now it's not just we're gonna do that over here and present it to the world it's like now we have to listen and take what's what what people are saying and adapt that and incorporate it and that that connection is marketing which i feel it's yeah it's a very exciting place and time to be and
1: that's you know that goes back to what we were talking about before I mean, the role of a brand today, uh, mm. like it or like it or not, it, you know, is to take stands and and you know and survey surveys have shown over the last few years whether they're correct or not, uh, people believe that corporations have more power to change the mm. world than than governments do or other institutions like the church, et cetera, mm. uh, and so they're rightly or wrongly they're they're assigning a tremendous amount of responsibility to brands to to not only you know make something that like a sneaker like a shoe but also at the same time to you know end inequality or something i mean <laughs> I, you know i'm not sure how realistic that is frankly i i think that the governments need to take more responsibility and and build more trust again but but when you you know to me one of the defining problems of our time is trust trust in institutions and we know that uh, and this is I think even truer in Europe than it is in the United States the the level of trust in institutions to solve our problems is at an all-time mm. low and mm. only brands can step in to fill the to fill the void I guess. Um, you know I uh, I person the problem with that is it, it's become a prerequisite you know what's your what's your social uh, issue that you're taking a stand on? Mm. Well, you know, I'm, I don't know. I just I make things for people to eat. I don't do that, you know, <laughs> but, but you have to, you know, but you yeah, have to so, do that today. Yeah. And, and it's such a it's such an about face from everything we've learned about brands that they should be. They should not take a stand. They're for everyone who needs them. Um, and mm-hmm. we really need to give a lot more thought, I think, to what we're asking the brands to do. I personally think it's probably a bit unfair to put that mm-hmm. much obligation on, on these brands, especially the ones that don't have a history of this. And in fact, are probably the biggest uh, the biggest uh, perpetrators of some of these problems. Now, all of a sudden, they're, oh, we have to fix every Well, you created the problem. You fixed the mm-hmm.
0: problem. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe yeah, you should you should start working with governments maybe of <laughs> their marketing. <laughs> that, uh, that could be a good way. <laughs> yeah, and of course, you know,
1: a government is a brand too.
0: Of course, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about it as I was saying. All right. Last question. You have a book. That came out recently,
1: amongst other books, but that one in particular. Tell me a little bit more about it. Oh uh, yeah, be happy to. Uh, the the book uh, it unfortunately came out at the height of COVID, so it maybe got lost. But, <laughs> but the book <laughs> the book is called uh, the New Chameleons: uh, How to Engage with Customers Who Defy Categorization. Mm. And so I talk about I use this metaphor of a chameleon. Of course, is a, a lizard that that changes its colors to uh, depending on what's going on in the environment, you know, for camouflage, mm. et cetera. I'm not implying that customers are lizards by any <laughs> way, by yes. any means, but but we also change frequently. What we change is our identity. We change our the way we think about ourselves, who we want other people to to think of us as. So as you go throughout your day, you're wearing different hats. You know, you may you're mm. a, maybe you're a parent, you're a business owner, you're a you're a football player you know, all of these different things. And those identities, of course, many of them are these politically charged ones, like your gender, ethnicity, income, et cetera. Um, but that is, you know, that that's the currency that we're using today. And so uh, what brands have to understand is that, that, you know, uh, a lot of time, and, and I, Maya culpa, you know, I've been teaching students for 40 years about market segmentation, mm. the importance of, picking your lane you know identifying a fairly large homogeneous market so for efficiency reasons you you send the same message to everybody that's exactly what we don't want to be doing today that was a that was a technique that worked very well in the era of mass broadcasting mm. back, back in the last century literally uh, <laughs> today it's all about personalization customization and what we actually call a market of one. So every individual consumer, you know, in some ways is their own market. Whenever you get a personalized ad on Facebook or something, that is mm-hmm. an example of that. And so what I talk about in the book is uh, basically in every chapter, I take on a a basic dichotomy that we all take for granted and that marketers take for granted, and I show why it's no longer uh, viable uh mm. basic dichotomies such as well one we've already talked about male versus female so mm-hmm. you know if you're a marketer you're either selling products for men or for women well number one today what does it mean to be man a man or a woman there's a there's a lot of controversy about that so mm-hmm. instead of a dichotomy black or white we have a lot of shades of gray we have a continuum um and and everybody's I guess, finding their own place on that. Now, if mm. you're a marketer, you know, there's there's lots of interesting social issues there, but there's a lot of financial issues as well. So what's a quick example? Well, uh, if I make women's accessories, let's say, I assume that men are off the table because mm. I make a woman's product. However, mm. as the male role gets gets redefined, just as the female role is being redefined in all sorts of ways, those, those barriers or those boundaries no, no longer hold up. And so Increasingly, a lot a lot of of men are wearing, for example, oh, here's one, you know, uh, a bracelet, mm-hmm. right? So, if I'm only selling to women, I'm I'm essentially saying to half of the population, I don't make anything you want go away, mm-hmm. and 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 that and and so there there are a lot of these assumptions that we make: rich versus poor, black versus white, old versus young. I'm talking about very basic classifications that we use to define our customers are are largely obsolete because Mm. of many of these changes that are going on. So, you know, old, uh, old versus young, you know, we we have expressions like uh, 80 is the new 60 and 60. Mm. Oh, yeah, I I agree. (laughs) uh, You know, which is which I totally believe in, you know, uh, you know, but but on the other hand, uh, you know, uh, back in my day, you know, we used to say never trust anyone over thirty, and of course, your parents—your <laughs> parents were were public enemy number one. Uh, today, one thing that, at least anecdotally, some retailers have told me is it's what they often see, are that mothers and daughters shop together, that mm-hmm. they're like best friends. That's become mm-hmm. a kind of thing, right? And mothers, yes. you know, and this trend about mothers dre- and daughters dressing the same, and so on. So if you think about it, that's a fundamental dichotomy from the '60s and '70s. You know, you're either mm-hmm. old, you're either young and cool, or old and not. Uh, mm-hmm. Today, it's very hard to make those kinds of assignments, and so, uh, so essentially, I'm going through the book and and talking about those. And and one of the most important ones, I think, directly relates to what we were discussing earlier, and that's the artificial boundary. Between producers and consumers. Mm. So our traditional assumption is that we make, I make something. I'm not going to share it with you till it's absolutely perfect. Mm. And so you're the customer. You keep you keep your distance from me. Today we know that that. That dichotomy is totally has totally blown up. Mm. Uh, everyday people are taking on other kinds of roles, like they're they're becoming taxi drivers or they're running a hotel when they rent out their home as for an Airbnb. Mm. Uh, you know, they may be they may be sharing uh, cars or or power tools with their neighbors and and things like that. Uh, not to mention the millions of people in direct selling companies like Avon and and Amway mm. and so on. where are Everyday people are becoming entrepreneurs in that sense. Mm-hmm. So uh, the reason it's so important is that it, again, reaching out to your consumers don't keep them at a distance. Apple is the most notorious for this. They will never. Uh, now and then, someone will leak a you know a, a, an image of a, the new iPhone. It's a big scandal. You know, mm-hmm. It shouldn't be a big scandal. People want it, Want to see it. And almost any other company would be happy to share. It. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but so what? Most companies. Apple is the exception that proves the rule. I think that most companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, many companies, what they're doing now is they're they're trying to solicit a lot more input from their customers, which means that they're no longer just customers. they're co-creators. Mm. And if you think of if you if you remove those old labels, don't say, you're my customer. Say you're my co-creator. That fundamentally changes the role, the relationship that we have. And so uh, I, I would summarize that by by just saying it's it involves a change in a very very simple word that has an unbelievable amount of implication, and that is we've moved from marketing to the customer to marketing with the customer.
0: Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's a good way to end this interview and a very Um, interesting one because it kind of like it makes me want to find out the rest in the book and it's funny because it's like as you're saying I'm like yeah yeah that's that's obvious but I haven't thought about it so (laughs) that's that's a great thing and I think it will be very interesting and useful to, to our audience as well thank you thank hope you so. thank you <laughs> that's been an absolute pleasure we'll include a link to the write-up for the podcast for everyone who's interested in getting the book i hope they can buy it online.
1: Uh, I'll, I'll send you the link uh, yeah
0: that works thank you